as I mentioned at the beginning, I'd like to I'd like to talk a little bit, but I'll keep it I'll keep it brief tonight. <clears throat> Though I want to say something about two uh, important <coughs> teachings that we uh, are given <coughs> from the Buddha and. They're often not necessarily directly correlated. And one is the Four Noble Truths, and the other is the Three Refuges. Both, of course, uh, we've talked quite a lot about in the past. But I want to make a suggestion, uh, which is that they inform one another, and that uh, they are sort of... uh, together they become a testing ground of this dharma, this truth that all of the teachings point toward, which is said to provide uh, freedom and perhaps even lasting liberation if if you're open to that. The Four Noble Truths are in Pali Dukkha, which is suffering or distress or discontent, dis-ease. The inevitable burden of having a mind and a body. The second noble truth is tanha in Pali, craving, which is the incessant uh, desire Uh, to ultimately to move toward something and thus away from the present moment which causes this underlying anxiety that perpetuates itself. Tanha perpetuates more tanha. The third noble truth is cessation which is the freedom or elimination of this problem ultimately the end of this problem. Uh, And the fourth noble truth is the path the way toward this freedom, toward the alleviation of dukkha. There's a different rendering, if you will, that I like a lot that, that uh, a handful or more teachers are using, and I'm not sure where it initially came from, but it might have been Stephen Batchelor. Uh, referring to these as the four tasks. So the four, the four noble truths has, uh, it can sound a little religious, like these are the Buddha's truths and they're better than Jesus's truths, right? And we can, it, it has that quality. It, we can, for some of us, it has that quality. And uh, I think we, I think we have to be careful with, language like truth <clears throat> and the, the, the Buddha was basically saying if if all of us stabilize concentrate the mind and look very closely and objectively at mental and physical phenomena we will agree that there is an inherent level of suffering that there's a cause and if we continue to develop the mind in this way so that it can see clearly an alleviation there's there's a there's cessation there's an end to this. <clears throat> so he was saying that's true, and and then of course the whole path is testing that 
Is that true? Is that true? And what teachers like Stephen Batchelor are saying is that these are not philosophical views handed down by someone wiser than us to be uh, to be taken as real or true without some investigation, without some direct experience. And so the task, from this point of view, is to know them. To know dukkha. How? Experientially, directly, in your own mind and body. To know it. To live it. The task is to know tanha, to see it clearly. When we say see, in the context of Buddha Dharma, where maybe see it with the eyes, but to but to penetrate deeply with mindfulness, such that you know there's this valid cognition. I know something because I've felt it, witnessed it, experienced it directly within my own mind and body. That's cognition that's valid. That's wisdom that's useful. That's going to be more useful to you than a teaching that I offer that is not substantiated through your own experience. The task, the third noble task, is to know cessation, hopefully, to be free, at least in this one moment, or at least in these three calm, cool, refreshing breaths when the mind is not worried about the past, planning for the future, analyzing the present. Ah, here it is. Here it is. The mind is calm, regulated, cool, body at ease, peaceful. Okay, I get it. Even if it's just a hit, we start to see. And then, and then, and then when the mind is stable, and we're developing a sense of, of what investigation is, how do we inquire? We notice that something is not active in that moment, in that present moment experience where the mind was free. And we notice, ah, that's what they're talking about. That craving, that second noble truth, is that, that grasping is not here right now. And so we see, so, and so, the, so the mind sees, yes indeed, this thing they call tanha, this grasping, creates suffering. It, it, it distorts somehow this inherent well-being only found in the present moment. In the task of the, 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 the fourth noble task, path, is to observe how is it that this Buddhism uh, lends itself to this ripening of wisdom and understanding. Now, in order to do this, to, in order to take on this, this larger project with these four critical tasks, the Buddha asks us to take refuge. <clears throat> he says, take refuge in the Buddha, take refuge in the Dharma, take refuge in the Sangha. Okay, so what does that mean? take refuge, that's to abide in something, that's to go towards something. That also means to renounce other things, right? If you take refuge in sobriety, 
you renounce addiction. Sex, drugs, alcohol, food, whatever you're recovering from, right? <clears throat> so we take, in this tradition, and, and some of us formally and, and through a ceremony, we take refuge in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the triple gem, the three jewels, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So we take refuge in the Buddha. What does that mean? Well, some of us identify with um, the Buddha as a benefactor. You know, we just read a book that was about Buddhism, and we attribute that to a certain person, place, and time in history. And that's, that's an easy connection. Okay, I can take refuge in the Buddha. Um, it probably means there's something safe about that image for us. Now, that's not the way it plays out for everybody. This is just one way of, of, of thinking about it. Uh, taking refuge in the in the Buddha is, we could say, to take refuge in the teacher or a teacher. Uh, could be uh, could be anybody, right? If you get on Dharma Seed once an, once a week and you download, you keep you keep downloading the same Dharma talks from, you know, Sally Sue who lives in Arkansas who's got forty Dharma talks on. You're taking refuge in Sally Sue. In a sense, like that person is providing guidance in your practice, okay? And of course, we talk about taking refuge in the Buddha as taking refuge in our own inherent potential for wakefulness. The Buddha is an icon, an example, a symbol of awakening. So it is to it is to identify with the possibility of your inherent well-being, your wisdom. Which is to say, I'm going to assume that's possible. I'm going to assume that's I'm going to assume I am that. And I will be more of that if I pursue this path, and so therefore I'll pursue this path. To take refuge in the, in the Dharma is to take refuge in the teachings themselves. Right, the teachings and the in the techniques, the meditation. So the meditation practice. So you're just saying, okay, like I'm gonna take refuge in. The, I'm gonna do the meditation practice. I'm gonna hear the. I'm gonna put myself into a situation where I'm hearing the Dharma. That's what we're doing right now. We're hearing the Dharma. I'm gonna read a Dharma book. I'm gonna take a class on the Dharma. You know, whatever it is. So we take refuge in. So we move away from something. We renounce. We've all renounced something tonight. Actually, we've renounced many things. Whatever we're not, all of those things that we could have done, we've renounced. And I'm going to argue we're taking refuge in the Dharma tonight. We're putting ourselves in direct contact with the teachings given to us by the Buddha. We're interested in seeing where that goes. We're interested in seeing that where that goes. Bless you. And the Buddha invites us to take refuge in Sangha. The Buddha is saying that community is important, that one's own mental health is improved potentially by a certain particular kind of relationship with other people that's conscious, that's wholesome, that's based on shared intentions and values where 
safe friendship can hold us accountable to our goals, help us see our shadow side, point out the gifts that some critical side of ourselves won't allow us to own, all, all of that. Um, I think the Buddha in this way was very skillful. You know, I, I think, though, though, though the teachings don't translate this way, I don't, I don't know if I, I can't think of anywhere where accountability is, is in there as a direct translation, but I think the Buddha knew something about systems of accountability. Um, when I was first learning to meditate, my daily practice was always better if I was going to the meditation center once or twice a week and sitting with sitting on the floor with a group of friends and practicing. And if I if I lost touch with the sangha with the community, my daily my home practice would would start to dissolve. Right? And then I would go on a retreat and I would get a in a sense I would I would get I would, I, would, I would have more exposure internally to Dharma. I would, have, I would have more of a sense of this dukkha, more of a sense of the way I'm creating it. And I would get these, these bigger realizations of freedom, the third noble truth. And, and that would really inspire me. I would come home and maybe I would read a little bit more. And I'd notice myself you know, calling Dharma friends more often than... You know, back then, some other friends who I probably shouldn't have been hanging out with, and it was so it was shaping my life in a really uh, fruitful way. Now, <clears throat> I've never re- I've never said this before, partly because it wasn't I wasn't thinking this way with regard to the to the three refuges or the three jewels. But over the past couple of weeks, I've been what's been coming up for me is that the Buddha was basically asking us to have faith. Which, and, you know, and, 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 and we, we, we take in a word like that, and some of us say, well, wait a minute. I'm not signing up for that. And then other people really like, you know, they're really oriented uh, around faith, and it has a wholesome quality to it, and they really want more of that, or they feel like they already have it. And, and so there's, you know, we're going to land at a different place on this faith spectrum, but in some sense the Buddha was saying have faith, but yet why, if we're, particularly if we're just starting out, like why or how or, you know, why? Why should I take refuge? Why should I have uh, faith in myself? Why should I have faith in the Dharma? Why should I have faith in, in you? <clears throat> and how do we develop this faith? How do we, because really our ability to take refuge and the Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha grows over time because it becomes validated through our experience. But yet, to get there, we have to put effort in. We have to put time in, don't we? Right? And some of you don't need to hear that because you come here every Thursday night, and some of you have been on retreat. and um, You know, like, for example, some of you are thinking about going on retreat. Whether you use the word or not, for many people... If, and if you watch, if you've never been on retreat and you're thinking about, now of course there's practical considerations. You know, maybe you're in school, maybe you have work, maybe you have family, then there's a financial component. But probably playing out is some dilemma around faith and doubt. Why would I spend seven days to go on retreat and pay for that? <laughs> People say it's hard, right? And you don't really know what you're going to get from it, actually. 
There's no, I can tell you. Like, I can make a list of things you might get. I don't know what's going to happen to you. And I can make, you know, and I can try to, you know, um, encourage people because I see most people really learn the practice on retreat. But it's like, you know, we just don't, we don't, you don't have no idea what's going to happen. Right? So this is a question of, on some level, uh, it's a question of faith and doubt. And so to, to, to try to tie these together, there's a really simple correlation here. Which is, remember now, these are tasks to be, the Four Noble Tasks, to be experienced, known directly. Right? To be known directly. So to find this faith, we have to ask, where is Dukkha? And where is cessation in my own experience? Right? Are we, do, are we taking this task on seriously or not? Are we honest? Uh, I, I, I answered a bunch of uh, questions for someone who's doing a, a report inquiring into our community. Um, you know, what's the history of the community? Why do we do this? Um, what's the long-term purpose of this? My view, and it's a really radical view, is that it's to cultivate faith. It's a strong, personal, maybe it's even a, maybe it's even a bias, but we are to cultivate, ultimately, faith in ourselves and in the practical or, or functional capacity of something that helps us. There's nothing Buddhist about that. That's about understanding our own mind. Now, the Buddha gave us a traditional structure, a traditional way of doing that. Right? But in a sense, that's almost clinical. That's um, One definition of clinical is direct observation rather than theory. The Buddha was a clinician. So the, so, so the, the question is, when you look at your own practice, Are you engaging this task of being honest about the first noble truth? Are you, are you engaging this task of seeing clearly the third noble truth? One of the, one of the questions on the, one of the questions I was asked to reflect on was how do we, what do I emphasize as a teacher here? I think I said, what do I do? What do I teach? And one answer is wisdom. That's one side of the path. The other answer is kindness or care, the development of the, 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 the heart and mind. But then my, my third answer is that um, uh, is, is transparency, honesty, vulnerability, right? right? Can we do that for ourselves? Can we, can we look inside ourselves and just be honest about what we see? And then if and when we feel safe enough, can we explore that with each other? Can we talk about that? Can we start to see the common themes that we hold and have to negotiate as a human being? And through that way of being in relationship, which is community, can we support each other on this path of freedom? 
this is going to be uh, ultimately for many of us a vulnerable task. And that's the, that, just that simple question is what I'm interested in tonight. So how do you know dukkha? How do you know dukkha? How do you know the first noble truth? And how do you know cessation? How do you know, how do you know the alleviation of it? What is your experience that says dukkha is, dukkha is real? What is your experience such that you know cessation is real? How do you know? Beyond a theory, beyond a good idea. You like the Buddhist books. The Sangha is kind of cool. Chris said it in a way that resonates, so I'm going to sign up for that. I'm even going to buy an Against the String Boston (laughs) t-shirt. Don't buy the t-shirt. I mean, do buy the t-shirt. We need the 15 bucks or the 20 bucks. But just, but, but actually investigate and see for yourself. Where do you stand? Where do you stand in relationship to these teachings?